CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, everybody, we're trying to call Stacy Davis Gates, our next guest, through Facebook. All right, this is good, good podcasting, huh, guys? This is cool. <laughs> All right, we're trying to call Stacy Davis Gates. Not a problem. Uh, I'm not doing it through Facebook. We're just going to do it through regular old Gmail phone. Let's go to everybody on the live stream chat here. Uh, yes, we're live today. I went and grabbed the equipment. I think we are a full-functioning podcast. We can work from home, Ben. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that's my Mueller imitation. Kyle. Kyle says, listening to Facebook ringing is definitely better podcasting <laughs> than that time when Ben <laughs> held his breath. That was awful podcasting. Oh, come on. That was when I was in the, the early stages of dealing with this crisis, and I was practicing to see if I had... I think that's uh, theory has been disproved. D, like if you hold your breath for ten seconds or don't 10 do counts, it again. Okay. We, we do encourage everybody to uh, download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews, both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Ben just talked with Ace Attorney Jim Coogan. Jim Coogan was like in his den or something. Yeah, he was. It was like a library. And uh, we, we took a deep dive. We talked about the impact of coronavirus on the Cook County uh, courts. And uh, then, oh, my God, classic Jim Coogan. He did a Michael Flynn uh, deep dive talking about Michael Flynn, the former advisor to uh, Donald Trump, and breaking down the fact, you know, what, uh, what Flynn had done and how uh, Flynn, Flynn was switching his legal strategy because it looks as though Donald Trump is entertaining the notion a pardoning a Flynn. So Flynn uh, was cutting a deal with the feds. Uh, Coogan takes the deep dive on all that. And will Donald Trump be so bold uh, as to pardon Flynn, you know, use the coronavirus uh, epidemic as sort of like a, or pandemic, I should say, as a cover. Uh, and so, well, no one's really paying attention. Pardon Flynn. I think he is... <laughs> I think he's capable of doing that, uh, definitely. So that was uh, some of the stuff that we talked about with Jim Coogan. And then uh, uh, we'll have Samina Mustafa later on talking yep. about the reaction to him. Samina Mustafa will be back this weekend for a Vinny J bonus interview. Make sure you go find those Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Let's call Stacey Davis-Gates and see if we can get her on the line here. We're just calling her to the phone. Old school. Like mom and dad used to. Hello? Hey, cool. You can't, ben, say hey to Stacey. Stacey Davis-Gates, are you there? Hi, this is Tracy. Oh, it's Tracy Bame. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, I called the wrong person. That's fun. All right, Tracy, well, I hope you're doing okay. Hang in there. We're live. Uh, you too. Hang in there. Hunker down. Hang. Well, that was weird. All right, let me look for the number again here. here I called right Tracy here. Bame. Oh, that was kind of fun, though. All right, let's try this number again. No wonder Stacy hasn't been answering. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Stacy, this is Tracy. Yeah. Wait, Stacy? Right, that so. was funny. That when, when when she responded, I'm like, that does not sound like S D G. You got that? I believe so. Now All let's right. try this. Yeah. <laughs> Call Tracy. That was kind of awesome. All right. Oh, great podcasting here. Guys. Hello, Stacy. Yes. All right. Finally, we having some technical difficulties there. Stacy Davis Gates. 
Uh, it was funny, uh, Stacy. We, we inadvertently uh, called Tracy Bain from the Reader. Uh, so gr- great moments in podcasting. All right. Uh, the coronavirus. <laughs> well, she's doing okay, by the way. Yeah, she's wondering. doing okay. Uh, and, uh, so anyway, Stacy Davis Gates, regular on this show, uh, uh, vice president of Chicago teachers union, outspoken progressive, not afraid to tell it like it is. How you doing Stacy with the coronavirus scare and the uh, pandemic you staying at home? Yeah, I'm, I'm home. And how am I doing? Look, um, you just practice what you can control and which is, you know, absolutely nothing except for how you feel about this stuff. And, um, you just rest on that. Even my children have stopped coming downstairs, um, because they know that I am a teacher and so they don't want to do any work. (laughs) So they're controlling their space. Um, look, I don't know, you know, I am, you know, I don't front load this, you know, with people all the time, but, you know, I, I believe in Jesus and I pray to Jesus and I do that every morning. And, you know, I also wash my hands. I also listen and, you know, practice the, the physical distancing that we're supposed to practice. And, you know, I pray, I talk to my family and I, you know, try to keep it together. You know, I have some family members who have autoimmune disorders. And, um, you know, of course, my anxiety can, um, is challenged by that. Um, I have another family member who um, is a resident of the Department of Corrections, and I have some anxiety about that. And, you know, those things are, you know, they can, that worry can take over. But again, like I said, you know, I pray, I meditate, you know, I think on good things. And um, I work a lot because this, you know, pandemic obviously has impact on our membership. Um, it has a profound amount of impact on our membership. And, um, you know, our members have a lot of questions. Um, they have a lot of concerns. They too share in the anxiety. So, you know, having a lot of tech, um, social media, um, phone calls with members about their questions and anxiety, and just trying to stay on top of getting people good, correct information and saying that I don't know what I don't know. So just keeping it as even as possible. Is there, you talk about uh, connecting with your, your members. Uh, what's the connection like, like between the union, the teachers, uh, and CPS itself, or is there good communication going on at right now at this crisis? Um, we are building a muscle, <laughs> <laughs> so um, there are some gaps, but there are less gaps than there are regularly. Um, you know, I'm on a regular call with a higher, you know, up administrator there that you know is consistent and transparent. So I appreciate that. And, you know, it's a work in progress. Like, you know, they too are, you know, moving a huge organization to do something different. Um, We have continuously, you know, impressed upon them our ability to be good partners on this and to use us as good partners. So um, there are some things that are working better than others. And there are some things that are in progress. Um, but this is a moment to continue to collaborate and to show ourselves open 
to be in um, the best partner that we can be in this moment. Um, Chicago needs that. Uh, yeah, this is something, it, it is unique. And Stacy, when I asked that question, I, I have to admit that I cannot recall an instance where the Chicago, maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, maybe your memory is better than mine, where it was uh, the union and the administration were sharing a podium if you follow me, you know, like the workers and the leaders of the city, the officials who are in charge of. No, like we ain't sharing a. We're not sharing a podium. Like, look, I think they can go harder in some other places, you know. And I'm not just talking. So, like, you know, let's just separate the operations from CPS from the operations of the city. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. I got to be honest, I was a little disappointed to hear that, you know, six people going to work would be fine. Now, obviously, I don't want six people going to work, but the bottom line is that six people are going to work Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be sick homeless people, sick hungry people. And so, you know, this, this moment is exacerbating what is already not there. Like, I would have preferred to hear about the expansion of the safety net in Chicago, the expansion of the public sector in Chicago, and not about how benevolent rich guys are. You know, that would have been my preference because in this moment, it's not philanthropy. Again, I am a history teacher, and I know that in the history of our country, um, Reconstruction, the Great Depression, um, post-civil rights poverty programs, all of those things expanded the social safety net. It expanded the public sector because there was a need for it. It was not about lifting up philanthropy as an answer because that's not the answer. Look, what we're dealing with in terms of shelter in place, self-isolation, um, one thing, but think about as we ramp up the number of tests and the number of cases that we'll see, the number of beds that we'll need in the hospital. If we're really not talking about the necessity of Medicare for all, then we've not we've not learned anything. Because just because I have a decent health care plan, it doesn't matter. It matters that we all have a decent health care plan. And so our interconnectedness is like on full display here. And for us to leave this challenge without some clear recognition that we need to expand the public sector, that we're going to have to tax rich people, then I don't know what lesson we take from it. You got the richest guy in the world asking his employees to like, share sick days or to give up their sick days for those who um, have to be self-quarantined because of a positive result um, of the um, COVID-19 virus. And it's just like, that's not the, we're going in the wrong direction. I'm also clear that with Katrina, um, the public sector was marginalized tremendously in in New Orleans. Um, Black people were pushed out. We're already dealing with the mass push out of black people from Chicago. We have to secure 
what we have now, and then we have to expand it. That's the moment that we're in. It's not a moment to lift up individual acts of kindness. I'm not pissing on that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And there is a duty that we have in this moment because now it's about the safety, the health, and the, and the well-being of our entire nation. And the government has got to grow. Uh, Stacy, I wrote down something you said. We have to secure what we have now and expand it. Uh, what did you mean by that? Be a little more specific. Well, you know, we have paid sick days here in Chicago. Um, that was monumental. Absolutely the right thing to do. Now expand it. We have a situation now where parents are home with their children. Um, and some of them can't afford to be home with their children. We will have people who will get past the quarantine in itself is 14 days. Sick, um, the, 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 the paid sick um, um, pay is, I think, like five days. So there is an absence there of, of what is that, nine days. So you got you to gotta at least expand it to the nine days for everyone, not just for the people who have it already, but you have to like make sure that everyone has it. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember that tip workers were excluded out of the $15 minimum wage. What do we think about that today? You know, you just got to think about all of the things that the left, you know, um, coalitions in the city have been pushing at, at least for the last decade, you see it, the need for those things explicitly in this moment. And so the right answer is recovery for all, not just for the airline, but also for the airline attendant, also for the bag checkers, also for, you know, the workers in the airline industry. Not just for the big cheeses who are already cashing out their stock or the big cheeses who are already making millions of dollars. Recovery has to reach King Drive and Cottage Grove and Irving Park. It cannot just reach, um, you know, Michigan Avenue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm putting it in the context of the, uh, the political debate uh, that we've been going through. Uh, in this country over the last almost, my gosh, it's been at least six, seven months as the Democrats try to figure out the best way to defeat Donald Trump, the best candidate to defeat Donald And where Trump. is Joe Biden, yeah. by the way? Have you seen him? Uh, Have you seen Joe Biden in the last couple of days? No. Because I haven't. Yeah. I, I, I cannot tell you how profoundly disappointed I am uh, with that. That was something I was going to lead to. Uh, but yes, I, I was hoping that the Democrats could present uh, a leader who would stand as like the symbol of the Democratic Party in this moment of crisis. And it seems as though as soon as the primary on Tuesday night was over, Joe, Joe Biden disappeared from the scene. And I, I say this not just as a person who wants Donald Trump defeated, Stacy, but as someone who thinks that Donald Trump is doing a terrible job of being a leader. And I would like to see, you know, someone other than like a, a governor here and there, like, you know, you see Cuomo in New York or Pritzker here in Illinois to a certain degree filling that role. But I'd like to see on a national level, a democratic presence. And I am profoundly disappointed 
the fact that the Democrats have vanished from the scene at this moment when their voice is needed the most? I mean, it is it's a profound silence in this moment for me. Um, look, the Democrats already had a very insufficient way of addressing the needs that we had before the pandemic. And what we see is the weakness in their ability on the national level to rise to the occasion. Um, you do need bold, um, um, aggressive um, vision and, and leadership in this moment. And sometimes I think that when people have been in a particular place for so long that they cannot see um, the, the availability of opportunity to push forward, you know, a vision for more. You know, Joe Biden's been a creature of Washington for a very long time. And the, the speculation of so many of us in this moment is that Donald Trump is just bad enough to lose because he's just bad enough to lose. And what we know, what we know is that he actually isn't just bad enough to lose. And if these stimulus checks go out, and if he does, listen, the bar is set so low for the dude to begin with. If he performs, you know, um, a fraction of what a leader should be, uh, expected uh, to provide, then he's gonna he's gonna be okay. Especially if he doesn't have any foil. And right now we don't see any real foil. We don't, you know. Look, I get it. They don't want to have this sector of politics around recovery. And I need to feel like someone is fighting for Cottage Grove. Someone is fighting for Ashland. Someone is fighting for. You know, all of us in our different, like, locations. Because right now, um, what's being talked about, I just hear trillions of dollars going to banks, you know, stability for Wall Street, um, an opportunity for the airline companies. But I'm not understanding what that means for my neighbors and their pensions. I live on a block of, you know, retired city workers. I live on a block of current city workers. And so I need to know that my neighborhood is going to be secure, not just my family, but my neighbors. Mm -hmm. And that is the discussion that we're not hearing enough of. Again, this will pass. And what expansion, like, so for instance, let's just play along here for a moment. Um, Let's talk about a city bank here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So the federal government will release emergency funds to help us regroup here. It won't be enough, and there still will be some. What about putting those deposits into a city bank, right, and expanding those who work at the city bank? How much of those emergency funds can go towards um, a Chicago-centered Green New Deal? Will we expand the public sector, make sure that people have jobs? Um, And teachers have to think about that, quite frankly. Because what will end up happening, like in some, like I, I was talking to one of um, our members yesterday, and he was relaying to me that um, the Monday before school shut down, that his students were talking to, uh, were talking about um, the layoffs that they've already absorbed in their own families with parents and and, and extended family members who've already lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. So what are we coming back to becomes the question, and what are we willing to do in the interim? We cannot see a Puerto Rico situation happen here on the mainland. I mean, that is our most, um, 
that is our closest, most clearest example of how the federal government absolutely failed an entire um, 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 island of people, right? And so here we are here. We got to press for more, and people have to be held accountable for that. Like in every poll, the issues of Medicare for all, the issues of securing, you know, a, a higher minimum wage and, 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 and um, expanding the social safety net, all of those things continue to pull well. People still identify with those things. We're going to have to have them. There's no way around it. Um, we're in that moment. All right. Now I'm going to hold off on the discussion of uh, Medicare for all and these progressive ideas and how they fit into what the Democrat Party wants, because they definitely want to talk about uh, how it seems as though the votes for Biden is moving away from that. Uh, I have to say, I'm watching Donald Trump uh, in the last several days talk about direct payments to Americans. And I'm watching, which is a very Bernie Sanders-like idea. And I'm watching today's poll. There was a poll that came out. Donald Trump is now uh, the, uh, his favorable rank rating by Americans, at least in this one particular poll. I know polls vary time to time. It's like 55%. People, uh, a majority of American people polled thought he was doing a good job. And Stacey, I had to just sort of shake my head when I saw this, because follow me on this. For the last six, seven, eight months, we've been in the middle of a Democratic primary where lefties like me were told, shut up, vote Biden, he's the most electable, or Bloomberg. Remember for a while they were pushing Bloomberg. Your socialistic ideas will not work with swing voters. So we get a little trouble. Donald Trump comes out with an idea that's straight out of Andrew Yang or Bernie Sanders, and guess what? He rises in the polls. Why is it that electability is only an issue that Democrats seem to worry about? Republicans seem to embrace whatever ideology they need at the moment to deal with whatever political crisis they're facing, and they don't seem to pay for it. Do you follow what I'm saying? I think that that's a failure. Uh, Listen, when you say drain the swamp, Like, one thing that you figure out, like, in government is that political parties matter more during election season than they do in actual governing. One of the things that I learned quickly in Springfield is, like, um, elected officials like agreed bills where there's not this, like, um, polarization of um, legislation and policy. So they like to get you in a room and get you to a place where... You know, no one's happy about the outcome. Um, and, and that's what we, that is an extension of what we experience, you know, with the very example you just provided is that you forget what it means to fight for a thing, a person, an idea. And that's what we have here is like the Democrats are so put off by Bernie being a democratic socialist and not just a big D Democrat until it didn't matter. It was identity. It's just how we do things instead of what we need at this moment. And so to be honest with you, the two party system in America is selling America. You know, the, the Republicans have a crisis too. Every time that man gets up at a press conference and there's a real question and he attacks a reporter calls the question nasty 
it's good to know he doesn't just do that to black women, by the way. He did that to a white man today, and perhaps that was staged. I don't know. But you have an absolute lunatic at the top of the Republican Party leading in this moment. And then on the Democratic side, um, the presumptive nominee has been absent from the discussion. So I would say that that's a crisis of the two-party system in America right now. A lunatic on one side and a ghost on the other side. All right, let's talk about uh, what the Democrats are doing and the person who's at the top of the ticket. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, I, I did not support him. I must confess in Tuesday's election. I don't believe you supported him either uh, in Tuesday's nope. election. I know uh, uh, you actually endorsed Bernie Sanders. Uh, and, uh, and yet he has been winning a state after state. And an interesting development has emerged, which we talk about a lot on this show. Uh, black voters have been voting a great number for Joe Biden. Uh, and uh, Bernie Sanders has essentially lost this race because he was unable uh, to win the black vote. I think that's pretty obvious uh, at this moment. And um, we discuss this all the time, Stacey, uh, the inability of progressives uh, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to make inroads with black voters. What's your theories about this? Well, I don't have a theory. I have, like, experience. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I just talk about experience. Look, this has been my discussion um, since 2015. Um, you know, Rob won re-election in Chicago. Um, you know, it helped that um, the president of the United States gave him, you know, a resounding um, endorsement and he won re-election. One of the things that I think we haven't zeroed in on with respect to the black vote is that you have to cultivate it, that the knocks on the door, the, the discussions on the phone, the interactions that we have with black voters, they have to be intentional, they have to be regular, and they have to be longer than they are with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of promises that have been made to black voters over time have taught, I, I think in, in part, and there's a lot of reasons to this, but you got to hold on to what you already have. So you secure what you have. Even if it's a fraction of what you deserve, you keep that, Right? It is difficult to be bold and imaginative um, as a black person in America at any juncture in American history, right? We often romanticize in a way that I think it um, doesn't inform well for this moment, but we romanticize the civil rights movement in a way that says that all of those people who came to the March on Washington were all of the people right, um, in one place at one time. That, oftentimes, if you read any type of um, history about the civil rights movement, the meetings in the basements of those churches were very small. The absolute um, rejection of the movement by the black church was profound. You do know the stories of the black ministers here in Chicago that outright rejected Dr. King and did not speak to him, told him told him to leave and to go away. Dr. King ended up in a tenement in North Lawndale. He wasn't in a church in Chicago on the south side. He was on the, in a tenement in North Lawndale on the west side of Chicago. 
that should tell us everything that we need to know. At the time of Dr. King's um, assassination, he was not a popular man with anyone. So this this idea, this this idea that you don't have to um, cultivate and build and organize within the black community is wrong. Yes, those uh, those progressive ideas would benefit. Um, a, a, a large swath of the black community. Um, I believe in those things. And I also know the discussions that I'm having in my own family and the types of discussions that I have and the time that I spend with family members talking through the issues and helping them connect the dots. Like I'm organizing with, within my own family. And my granny used to be the hardest one to have that discussion with. Now, finally, she just would relent. Because I was relentless, right? <laughs> and so she, she was just like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, I don't know if that was just shut up, Stacey, or just, okay. <laughs> but um, it takes time. Because the one thing that you know as a black person is that what you have today is what you have today. It might not be what you have tomorrow. Wow. And... Uh... I could just imagine it. Uh, I'm just trying to picture you and your grandmother having a, a political debate. All right, Stacy, whatever. Uh, leave me alone. Uh, she what did the what, what? All right, whatever you say. Uh, and uh, I, I went through different phases with my mom where it started off where she would be telling me who to vote for. In the end, uh, she would be calling me up. Who should I vote for? Uh, I guess that's just the phase of life you go through. Uh, what's your attitude about this notion that's presented by several people that come on my show uh, that black voters are more conservative uh, than the Bernie Sanders of the world? Uh, what's your reaction to that? Um, I, I think that that is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous proposition to put out there in that world. And I would just challenge, you know, black people to um, keep some things at their kitchen table and not amplify it um, with other people. Um, I think it's dangerous. You know, moderation is a dream killer. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the bottom line. Moderation is a dream killer. And, you know, and I'll say this over and over again. It is the bold, risk-taking spirit of our leadership within the Black community that gets me on the telephone with you right now as a, as a personality, as a leader, as an authority of anything. Like, if Harriet Tubman doesn't leave a plantation and come back several times to get others, what is that? If Rosa Parks sits on the back of the bus, and if she stands up instead of sitting down, what is that trajectory? Those were all risks um, taken at a time where you needed to take them. That's not conservative. That's not moderate. Conservative at any juncture in the lives of Black people in America is status quo. And in Harry's time, status quo was servitude. And, and Rose's time, it was Jim Crow. So in our time, it has got to be the boldness of organizing our community to, to think beyond moderation. Because we didn't get to 2020 with moderation. We got to 2020 with, with this bold behavior that got us to dream more than what we could see before us. Uh, I agree with you. And not only that, you don't even have to go back to uh, 
Harriet Tubman or Rosa Parks, as I said to you earlier today, and I'll say it again and again and again on this show, uh, the 1980s, the two most prominent politicians, black politicians in the city of Chicago were leftists, Harold Washington and Jesse Jackson. And they had widespread, almost 90 to 99% of black support. So I, I believe that this notion that black voters are more conservative than the Democratic Party is fiction. Oh, it's absolute fiction. It's a, it's a fiction that supports the candidacy of Joe Biden. Like, if you didn't have, like, if, just think about that. If the DNC had the narrative that Reverend Jackson's campaign in 84 and 88 represented the same vision that Bernie Sanders represents right now, then it's a, it's a completely different ballgame, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you got Barack Obama, though, sandwiched in the middle, who is a representative of moderation, quite frankly. Like his example um, as a black man and his family, as the first family, first black family of our country, like you can't front on what that feels like. But in terms of the ideology attached to the type of um, governing he did, that was moderate at best, conservative probably. All right, let's uh, let's uh, shift gears and talk about uh, what went down on Tuesday. Uh, we had an election in the city of Chicago, the Cook County of Cook, state of Illinois. Uh, we we discussed whether we should even bother to have any election, but we went and had it anyway. Got it done with. Uh, Kim Fox was victorious. Uh, Joe Biden was victorious. Uh, Marie Newman was victorious. What other takeaways do you have from Tuesday's election? Um, you know, women kick butt um, is the uh, one of the big takeaways. That's correct. In that, you know, say it again. No, that was Dennis being a wise guy saying that's correct. Go ahead. Yeah, you're. We agree with you. <laughs> we agree yeah. with you. Yeah. No, women kick butt. That's a that's a good thing. Um, the policies have to follow these women kicking butt too. It can't just be the veneer of um, women winning, but it also has to represent. Um, other women coming along with them to help them govern the policies that empower and support other women out here in the workforce and in our society. Um, but beyond that, though, like, I got to tell you, like, Lakeisha Collins on the west side of Chicago, um, her story is absolutely tremendous. Lakeisha, you know, um, grew up in the foster care system. Um, she has three um, a, children who attend public school. She um, was a nursing home worker, now an organizer with SEAU Healthcare. I'm so proud of that. Like, Lakeisha would have been one of my students when I was a teacher. And so to see someone who could have been one of your students, um, who's now in charge of government in the state of Illinois, like, she gets a vote. She gets the ability to organize and influence colleagues at that level for their vote. I am so proud of that. That is something um, that we all should be proud of because that should be the story of right now. Um, Kim Fox, you know, this whole Conway creature and his daddy and Ken Griffin and all their millions of dollars. It just, I mean, that is just a terrible representation of what this electoral process should have been. You know, his craven um, campaigning to, you know, lift up Jesse Smollett as if that woman hasn't had her hand in exonerating um, what at least 90 individuals who should have never been in prison to begin with. 
Like, you could say whatever you want to about anything else, but 90 individuals being released from prison because they weren't supposed to be there, she can have my vote now into never, now into ever, because that is huge. And for me, too, you know, I often say to people that Black women get, you know, a very thin margin of error and leadership, that you can't make mistakes, you know. Um, you know, I was raised, my granny used to tell me, you have to be twice as good to get half as much. And so you don't make mistakes. You try to work hard, but you're human and you you will make mistakes. It's just what will happen. That being said, she did make some mistakes. She's human and she still outlived those mistakes and she'll be able to leave for another term. I'm absolutely proud of her. I am just absolutely glad that you know, people, the voters understood the stakes of this um, contest and voted accordingly. And uh, Biden's win? What was your takeaway from that in the state of Illinois? He's a GOAT. Um, you know, listen, it, it, it just boils down to this. The, the left and our spaces, we're going to have to come to terms that we need black people in our flame in mass. Because black people determine elections. So we can be right and lose, or we can be right and organize to win. And we got to organize. You know, um, you know, I'm a former athlete. So when you lose, it's not, it's not always like, look, I, I grew up in Indiana. Um, the, the places where I went to school, we have more black people than, um, like on our sports teams than our competitors, our opponents would have. And so, you know, often the referees wouldn't side with us. You know, we called it cheating. I probably would still call it cheating. And that was just what was going to happen. And you had to figure out how to be better. And right now, our left, we got to figure out how to be better. What is the strategy to compel more black voters to uh, uh, vote their interests or what we perceive as their interests? How do we have more deep discussions when there's not an election so we can change the rules to how um, they are considering candidates? And we have got to do that. There are not the most promising part of this election is that younger black voters they wanted Bernie Sanders. And so what we have to do is figure out how to organize that group of people to talk to their parents and their grandparents and, and to organize that space. Because that's another thing we got to do. Black people have got to be a part of the leadership on the left. We have got to find other voices that um, can help create strategy, communication, and organizing plans to make sure that the left, the ideas of the left, the leaders on the left can win big elections. Uh, you know, Stacey, in, in so many ways, I'm listening to what you're saying. It, it, it's just, just like a basic human connection that is so difficult in this country. Uh, just to hear like, to the, the left to embrace black people as leaders, as equals, just getting black people and white people in a room together talking together is is a challenge you, you know what i'm saying and i know you probably know this better than anybody but it's a challenge 
And it's a challenge that we've been unsuccessful at for so long. Uh, and the, the left certainly doesn't have doesn't seem to have any answers uh, in this regard. Well, well, I think one of the things that may become more apparent to us post pandemic is that um, the silos in which we exist, the categories that have been erected for us, um, don't really matter because we have this thing out here that is just out here and it's affecting all of us equally. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what side of town you live on. It doesn't matter which country you originated. It, it just doesn't matter. And so, but what does matter is that you have health care and access to it and that you can get tests and that you can get treatment because that determines my health and the health of my family members. So I'm just saying like, there has got to, like, I think we're having a reckoning. And it is up to those of us who can see the reckoning to express that and to organize for a recovery package that represents the needs of a wide swath of people in this country. Stacy, let's bring it down to the local level in terms of the pandemic. Uh how do you think uh, Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker have handled this? Uh, Lori gave a speech about this yesterday. Governor Pritzker is, uh, is I guess, at 3 o'clock today, D. He's going to give a speech. How do you think they've handled it so far? Thank God, uh, J.B. Pritzker is our governor and not Bruce Rahner. I mean, you, I cannot. Look, my union did endorse J.B. Pritzker because, you know, we didn't feel like he expressed pr- progressive. Um, enough. We did not see um, his body of work. Um, the name Pritzker had been associated with the Board of Education when they closed 50 schools. Um, it's just all types of things. And I bet no one remembers that at this moment. Um, what they see is leadership. What they see is someone willing to tackle it. The, the challenge, what they see is someone that they can depend um, on with a briefing, with clarity, with um, with the type of action um, that encompasses working families in this uh, in this state, that encompasses those who need help in this state, um, and you know we just want to keep it there, you know. And I think that that's good to see. I think that we also can't go to sleep and just say JB has got it <laughs> because anyone who's ever been in a leadership position, um, your leadership is only as strong as the type of push and organizing that's coming at you. You just don't wake up one day and make every right decision. I've never seen that happen. You make decisions based on the needs of the people, the the pleas of the people, and, and the, the solidarity and the organization that's coming your way. And so in this moment, we should not just rest and say, we got it. We should be clear about our needs and pushing him towards our needs. Now, he's already demonstrated that he can be pushed there and that he's willing to be there. And that is what you need in a leader. But we also need the constituencies on the ground to put your needs and your interests first. Because I'm going to tell you, small business people are putting their needs out there. Big business people are putting their needs out there. Working families must do that. Middle class families must do that. Poor families must do that. The homeless population has to do that. All of these advocacy groups, we cannot, like, say, you know, we don't want to feel awkward or in a bad position. 
we have to continue to push forward an agenda that represents um, all of us and not just some of us. And what? how do you evaluate the Mayor Lightfoot's performance so far? I think J.B. Pritzker is doing a tremendous job. <laughs> okay. Uh, Stacey Davis. Did you watch the speech uh, yesterday, Stacey? I think Governor Pritzker is doing a tremendous job. You know, this reminds me of the old days uh, when, when Governor Pritzker was candidate Pritzker, Stacey, and uh, he would go on mm-hmm. every talk show in the world. And all the reporters, he was running for office and he was running on a platform. This is my favorite memories of J.B. Pritzker's candidate. He was running on a platform of a fair tax. But he didn't want to release the specifics of the fair tax because as soon as he did that, there would be a target that Bruce Rauner could uh, pound away at. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, and mm-hmm. so every reporter, myself included, because you had to play this, you had to do it. You had to ask J.B. Pritzker the tax question. And so we would come up with all different kinds of ways to shape the question, you know, basically trying to get him to say what his rate structure would be. And J.B. Pritzker would just, mm-mm, not going to do it. And he would just duck and dodge and avoid it. And I've heard so many different reporters try different ways. It's very similar to asking you questions about Lori Lightfoot's performance uh, in light of... Uh, Look, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be clear. We need the Chicago Public Schools to continue to have a collaborative process with the Chicago Teachers Union. That's what that needs right now. You know... When this is over, we could probably have some conversations, but like I am encouraged by the governor, um, by the Illinois State Board of Education in this moment and how they are putting forth leadership. And I'm just going to keep it there. Um, And there will be enough time for Monday morning quarterbacking at some point. And, you know, hopefully by then it won't matter. We'll be talking about the expansion of public service that we'll have. you know, a better grasp on policy that taxes the wealthy to expand the social safety net to, you know, um, create a green new deal here in Chicago that will help to expand um, the ability, the, the offerings of jobs here that black people could actually stay in Chicago instead of getting kicked out, that immigrant families continue to feel safe in this space that working families can continue to afford to live here. Like, those are the things that I am looking forward to. And I just don't need folks in Chicago losing mm-hmm. their voice in this moment. I think now is the time where you have to use your outside voice um, and do it, you know, for the many and, and, and do not feel compromised in doing so. It requires that. Look, let me tell you, rich people call and leaders all over this world right now figuring out, where the opportunity is. You hear me? Yes. And now is not the time for our advocacy group, for our organizing and base building group to get silent. Now is the time for you to say what you need. The United Working Families, um, in coalition with um, a number of progressive advocacy organizing groups, have put forth uh, a proposal for recovery for all. That's what we need, expansion of six-day days. We need an expansion. We need government to grow and wealthy people. You can write me a check for a million dollars just out of your generosity. You can pay some more taxes. Because I can't write you a check for a million dollars. 
I'm with you 100% on this one, Stacey. I've been saying this all week, and we'll close this by making this point, get your response. Donald Trump is the uh, president of the United States, the head of the Republican Party. For the last 30 years or so, Republicans have been telling us that the most important, one of the most important issues we face as a country is to make sure we uh, have a balanced budget. I've heard this a million times, and they always attack Democrats, tax and spend. They're just going to grow a deficit. That's not the way you run a business. That's not the way you run a country. Thank goodness we have a businessman running the country. First time we get in trouble, what does he do? He's <laughs> He finds his inner he's socialist. Checks. checks. He's just writing checks. He's jumping up in the polls. I cannot say this enough. He's never been more popular since he said he's going to write the checks. I don't hear one Republican talking about a deficit. They only talk about a deficit when they can use it as a weapon to beat up Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or some other Democrat. Why Democrats fall for it, I do not know. That's right. That's right. And then they run from it like it's napalm or something. Nah, that's the type of boldness and vision and, and clear leadership that we need in this moment is that people who are willing to represent the interests of the many. And you know what? Donald Trump said it like, well, people need, okay, why not? You know, makes sense to me. And, and guess what? November is right around the corner. Like, please. You know, he, he, he is as craven as they come. Now, the need exists, so no one is going to reject it. And the need existed before this pandemic. The need was so acute before the pandemic, you have to put in all of these drastic measures from New York State to Illinois. And here we are. These measures would not have to be as drastic if testing was available because you had a healthcare system that was fully funded and, and available for all of us. You know, you have, we're catching up to this. And people's breath, look, people were poor before COVID-19. People are going to be poor after COVID-19. The question that we have to um, call and what we have to demand is how do we provide a public sector that is offended by the poverty that exists in this moment? And that's what we need. We do not need cheerleading from two um, 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 millionaires, billionaires, who had money to pay in taxes, but instead wrote a philanthropic check. Mm-hmm. Get the check. Expand the safety net. Make sure people have health care. Make sure when you're sick that you can take off from work and not risk shelter and food. That's the point. Build the infrastructure when no one's watching. Build the infrastructure when there's not a pandemic or an emergency. And build it afterwards because that's the only way we're going to get through this all right very good that's stacy davis gates vice president of the chicago teachers union and a good friend of the ben jarofsky show stacy stay safe uh and uh stay away from that germ those germs and uh come back on our show real soon because we're still doing this uh, even though we're doing it from our house well, call me uh, we will call I, you no 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 yeah, next time you might give a, a kid or two on the show, but <laughs> look, you guys stay safe. And everyone who loves and listens to Ben and Dennis, you all stay safe as well. 
do the best that you can and, and call in for reinforcement when you need it. Um, I would also like to direct people to our website, cculocal1.org, um, for updates with the schools. I would also like to uh, direct people to the United Working Families um, website to learn more about the Recovery for All package. All right, very good. Stacy. we'll be checking with you probably I, maybe next week. So keep that phone line open. That's Stacey Davis-Gates. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from Ben's house. <laughs> yes, indeed, live from my house. We're going to close down the show for the day. Uh, Stacy Davis Gates uh, was SDG. Uh, she was Stacy Davis Gates. What can I say? She had a lot to JB say. JB Pritzker is doing an incredible job. <laughs> what about Lori, though? <laughs> JB Pritzker is doing an incredible job. Don't say anything bad about Stacey Davis-Gates. Anyway, uh, thank you so much, Stacey. Uh, always love talking politics and everything else with Stacey Davis-Gates. The live stream chat was wondering, uh, too, did she call Joe Biden a goat, like a farm animal, or a ghost, like a human spirit? <laughs> Which one was it? What do you think, goat uh, th or ghost? I think she was talking goat. Uh, I thought the reference was uh, to... Uh, the fact that he had the connection to Obama, but uh, whatever. Oh, I was uh, thinking ghost because he he's not he hasn't been seen. Oh, it could be it could be ghost. Anyway, uh, well, I'll have to call her and ask her about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering the same. I was kind of wondering like, what exactly was she saying there, but she was on such a riff. I didn't want to interrupt her. Uh, anyway, great job by Stacey Davis Gates uh, and uh, Ramana Hussein as well. What uh, a week it's been, huh? What a week it's been, man. Uh, Got to give us credit. Uh, I'm going to give us credit, all right? We somehow or other managed to pull this off. Uh, Dennis, let's give a shout-out to Dennis, man. This guy has stitched together a studio in my room. Uh, he had to ride his bike down to the bright one today to the Sun-Times to get another computer. Hardest-working producer in the world. It was crazy, man, at the Sun-Times. There was just Kevin, the security dude. That was it. That's it. That man. was it. Nobody was at the Sun-Times. It's a different world. Whoa. Uh, as we speak, uh, J.B. Pritzker is probably going to be uh, giving a speech. He hasn't started already, talking about even uh, more of a lockdown. So we'll see what the world looks like uh, next week when we return. Again, we're going to have plenty of weekend material. Uh, we have uh, Jim Coogan bonus. We're going to drop, uh, I don't know, Dennis and I will figure out when. And Samina Mustafa will be, Samina's all fired up. She's going to be breaking down uh, the government's response uh, to uh, the uh, the virus. And she's also going to be talking about the Democratic response. She had a lot of things to say, sort of follow up on Stacey was saying. Uh, very disappointed in Joe Biden and the Democrats. Come on, guys, you got to step up. You got to show that the Democratic Party uh, has a voice, has a vision, has a sense of where the country should be going, trying to push uh, Trump to the left. We've been trying to push Biden to the left. Now Trump is is like finding his inner Bernie. Come on, Dems. You got to stand for something. So anyway, uh, we'll have uh, the interview with Samina Mustafa. Uh, we'll be dropping that uh, this weekend as well. So once again, thanks, Stacey Davis-Gates. Thank Ramon Hussein. And of course, thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Stacey, Ramana can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Be safe, folks. Have a great weekend. 
We'll see you next week. One of these days, I'll just be Dennis. One of these days. One of these nights. <laughs> Please stop singing. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews, like this weekend's bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we're now live streaming. We're back, baby! From Ben's house. You'll hear the brown line every now and again. It's fun stuff. Join the live stream chat. Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Uh, working on video. It's pretty cool to listen to, though, live. You know what I mean? Everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take vitamins. A lot of people are talking about sanitizer and Lysol and all that. Take vitamins. Make sure your inner body is good. You know what I mean? Please take care of yourself, and we'll see you all Tuesday. radio make sure the television the, excuse me make sure you have the record player on at night the, the, the phone make sure the kids hear words i've seen a whole lot of catfish some turtles uh no gators yet though that's correct <laughs>